swashbuckling style of punch fighting that you did because of the short reach? Yes, that was the big reason. I had to uh, sort of get low and try to come up, as we say, from underneath to get in close on an opponent because the closer I could get to an opponent, uh, the more damage I could do with the short arms. At, uh, at long range, I just couldn't jab with the, the great jabbers, uh, such as Joe Lewis when I fought him in 51. Uh, he had 11 inches reach on me and was able to just pop that left in my in my face and keep me at a distance. I had to sort of crowd and um, move in on him, and that is why uh, the style was really developed. Rocky, um... heavyweight champion of the world, Rocky Marciano. And the new heavyweight champion of the world, Rocky Marciano. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen. Rocky Marciano. Rocky Marciano. Rocky Marciano. The new heavyweight champion of the world. Rocky, Rocky, Rocky. Did you think you were winning? Well, no, I thought it was just maybe a hair behind. I knew I had to do something. Uh, I knew I had to do something. And you did do something. Did you think you were going to catch up with Well, I, I was wishing I'd hit him with that left hook or right hand. Yeah. He certainly takes a good punch there, Bill. Yeah. And you did hit him with the right hand, of course. Yes, I hit him with right hands and left hooks. Did, did you think he was gone? Did you think he was gone when you nailed him? Well, I knew it hurt him. You could feel the punch. You knew it hurt him. Well, congratulations, Rocky. You're a great fighter, game boy, and a, a great credit. Hey, this is Tony Lightning Lewis. You're listening to Zoots Boxing Talk. All righty, everybody. Welcome to Zoots Boxing Talk, the boxing show where we bring you sweet science straight up. With no twist. And how's everybody doing out there this evening, Wednesday, December 14th, 2022? A little bit later on, we'll hear from the new member of the International Boxing Hall of Fame class, Alicia Ashley. But before we get to that, we had another action-packed boxing weekend. The streaming services, it was all over the place actually started on Friday evening with Shenard Bunch beating Hank Lundy. Now, I was not around Friday evening to watch that, but I wanted to give a shout-out to Nadal and and Shenard Bunch for uh, that, and I do plan on watching that uh, at some point. But I wanted to mention that, and then we had the – that zone card in the ESPN card, and we had NUA in the wee hours of the morning not that long ago, and we're going to talk about all of that first. But I wanted to give a little uh, time to some of the undercard performers. Uh, on that zone from Leeds, we had Felix Cash versus Setin Navis. Cash was delivering a high work rate early in this fight. Nevis did much more catching than he did throwing, but he did manage to bloody Cash's nose early in the fight. 
by the end of the downward round, Cash looked like he was a little bit winded, a little bit taxed from all the punches that he was throwing. And even though he was taking more punches, Nevis looked like the fresher fighter. So I'm sitting there saying, oh, what's going to happen now? But Cash, Cash fooled me. He did have a good fourth round. He used his jab, created space, and he started fighting, backing up the rest of the way. Cash fought a much better fight in the sense of boxing, getting out of the way, uh, getting good work done, but not staying in harm's way. He, he did He did wind up getting a bad cut at the end. And uh, there was only, the way they explained it, there was only one scorecard in this fight, the referee, and Cash won 77-75. And Austin Amel Williams was doing commentary for the fight on that zone, and it was it's being set up for Cash and Amo Williams to fight next. Uh, Cash and Amo Williams were part of the post-fight interview with Eddie Hearn, and uh, Cash got a little irritated at some of Amo Williams' comments, and they had to be separated. So we definitely hope to see that fight in 2023. That would be a good one if Eddie Hearn could get it done. And on the under undercard of the ESPN plus slash ESPN. We had some good things. We had Tiger Johnson taking on Mike Ohan. This was Tiger Johnson's first eight rounder. And I really like Johnson. They hype up Keyshawn Davis. They hype up the next big baby. They hype up uh, Zander uh, Zayas. And uh, all for good reason. Yes, I understand why. But I think Tiger Johnson is going to wind up being better than all of them. Let's see if I'm right. And Johnson broke down and stopped Ohan in the fifth round. I mean, you look at this kid. There's nothing not to like about this kid. No wasted energy. Poise. Does everything correctly. Got to see him in there. Tougher, of course. But I'm, I'm having fun watching him progress. And then we had the big, giant, heavyweight David. Number fighting Emilio Salas, and this was a dominant performance by Damian. Referee stops, I mean, actually, the corner stops uh, the fight in the second round, like the punishment that Salas was taking. Uh, so that that opened up the opportunity for ESPN Plus to show another fight. So we saw a couple of uh, lefties, Joe Hand versus Frederick Yulon and the most interesting thing about this fight was how disrespectful Timothy Bradley and Andre Ward were to the fighters. I mean, it was saying this dude, they, 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 there was they not, not one nice thing. They kept on saying how horrible they were, how horrible the fight was. Uh, they're terrible. And uh, I found that uh, very interesting. And uh, we're going to bring along... Uh, Rich Lopez from Boxing Guru to talk about some of the other stuff that uh, happened. And we'll start with the big female bantamweight fight between Bridges and O'Connell on their zone. Uh, Mr. Rich Lopez, how you doing tonight? Hey, Anthony, how you doing? Uh, thanks for having me today. Oh, pleasure is all mine, and let's open up our conversation with that female bout. In the opening round, O'Connell hurt Bridges with a right hand, uh, but then Bridges became more aggressive. Uh, She was landing the hardest shots, eventually knocked 
uh, O'Connell down in the third round. Uh, there's a lot, I thought a lot of hype uh, in this fight, and I thought it certainly delivered it in terms of a lot of action. And, and in the beginning, some suspense. What did you think? Yeah, I think so, too. I think it was, uh, yeah, it was a pretty exciting fight. Um, definitely live up to the hype. I, I know um, I know both Bridges and Connell were, um, you know, going after the pre- the free trash talk and, uh, you know, both of them are you know, both from Australia and, you know, they, they had a little beef going on and I would say yeah, definitely the fight definitely delivered. Um, it was funny. Connell, um, yeah, I think she just, her best round was obviously the first round and she opened up and, uh, you know, she landed some good shots and uh, hurt bridges. And I think, you know, as, as the fight went on, you know, they're, both of them were going at it, but Bridges was uh, using her uh, her strength, and she was putting a lot of pressure, and um, basically broke down O'Connell um, eventually to a stoppage in the eighth round. But what I found funny, I, it just seemed like O'Connell just really ran out of gas right after that first round. I I thought she was gonna do a lot better. Like, okay, she's gonna use her height and you know reach to her advantage and outbox her. Um, maybe in spots, but but she seemed just to run out of gas right from that first round, and it was just you know Bridges, uh, you know apply her pressure and like and and her 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 size her force. You know, I think she was just like the powerful, uh, more stronger fighter, and it just showed throughout. And, and from there, just O'Connell just took just took a beating till you know till until the stoppage happened. Yeah, I mean, uh, the fifth round, I thought, was a little bit of a closer round. O'Connell, I thought, closed that fifth round well, but it was clear that uh, Ebony Bridges was the boss and was the stronger fighter and was delivering the harder blows and gets an eighth-round uh, stoppage from by landing a barrage of punches in that eighth round. No, that's that, that's 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 correct. And for you know, for for Bridges, uh, she's kind of um, uh, I guess you could say she just kind of like you know came out of nowhere, and she's already making a big name for herself. You know, she's already became a world champion. Uh, with the IBF, I think she's the I, she's the IBF um, uh, bantamweight champion. You know, considering that you know, I was last year she had just lost to uh, Shannon Shannon Courtney. Um, and then she's basically bounced back from that in this, um, you know, became a world champion. So that's, you know, that's good on her part. And um, she's very marketable. And, you know, I, that's one of the reasons why you heard, you know. Yeah, de- definitely a bit of a character. A bit of a character wants to sell not only the, the yeah. powerful punches, but the blonde hair and the boobs, you know, those are her words, not mine. You know, she wants to make sure everything <laughs> is on display. And also yeah. loaded with a bunch bunch of tats, but Ebony yeah. can fight, no doubt. Yeah, and 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 that's what she's showing now. That she's showing that you know she she can fight and she's tough. She's tough as nails, and you know that's that's just you know that just adds on to her um her popular add on to her popularity. So. <clears throat> indeed, indeed, and the IBF was uh, the big uh, center of attention on that zone because the main event was the IBF featherweight title between uh, Josh Warrington and Alberto Lopez. And this was Lopez's big shot, and he definitely took advantage of it. He came out winging and was effective. 
Uh, I thought Warren in the opening round. I thought Warren did a little better in the last minute 20 of the opening round, but it was clear that we had a fight on our hands right away. Uh, round two, we saw a clash of heads that caused a, what looked like to be a bad cut on Lopez's uh, left eye. But uh, the cut was, was not a, a factor, and the, the fight went on and uh, had some dips and dives, some suspense. I thought uh, Warrington had a very good ninth round to put him closer. But to me, Rich, uh, see if you agree with me or not, uh, I thought the, the thing about this fight was the tenth round. I thought Lopez had a good tenth round and to me that suggested that Warrington needed a stoppage or a couple of big 10-8 rounds in 11 and 12 to retain his title he did not do either and he winds up losing a majority decision 114 114 level as the Brits say was overturned by uh, two scores of 115 113 for Lopez. I thought it was clear that Lopez won the 10th round. Tony Bellow, who was doing the scoring for Dazone, scored the 10th round for Warrington. I had no idea what he was talking about. And I, I started looking. I did not get to see the official scorecards. Uh, they, they weren't posted when I was looking. I'm, I'm dying to see what the three judges scored the 10th round. Most people that I was looking at in terms of social media were in agreement with me that uh, Lopez won the 10th round, but there were some votes for Warrington for the 10th round. I thought that was the key to the fight, and I thought it was clear that Lopez was the winner of the 10th round. What do you say, Alex? Another Lopez about that. No relation, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no relation, but uh, yeah, no, regards to the 10th round, I also felt that uh, Lopez did enough to to win that round and kind of like what you stated earlier, you know, the fight was exciting and, uh, but I really, in the fight, I just felt that Lopez was, um, was just more busy of the two fighters, um, throwing a lot of punches, you know, landing a lot of punches. And I thought he just took, he took, uh, he, um, they had a pretty big lead in the fight. Um, now I think the, the experience, I kicked in from Warrington towards the later rounds and I thought Lopez was kind of, uh, you know, run out of the gas a little bit, but it, to me it wasn't enough uh, to win the fight. And, and in this case, which, to, to be quite honest with you, I'm really, um, I have to give credit to the judges on this fight because, you know, being that they were fighting in Josh Warrington's hometown and, and you know, the, the fight, the gap was starting to close just a little bit, not enough for me, but I thought maybe it would be enough. I, I was thinking maybe they were going to probably uh, – steal a fight away from Lopez, but in this case, the judges got it right, and, you know, for me, I had a, I had a 115-113 scorecard for Lopez as well, so, you know, seven rounds to five, but yeah. he took the gamble, he took the gamble, he took the chance, he went to the Warrington's hometown, and, you know, that's one of the things we, um, we should see more in, in boxers, you know, they're willing to take the chance and even go to a, you know, fighter's hometown and, and fight, you know, fight the world champion, so this was a good, um, um, a good move by Lopez, and it paid off. And now he's, you know, he's now he's the IBF World Featherweight Champion. 
Yeah, I mean, well, Warrington did have a big 11th round. Lopez never went past 10, and it showed early on in that 11th round. Yeah. But Lopez did not go down, so I scored it 10-9 for yeah. Warrington that 11th round. Round 12, there was yeah. a lot of holding. It was Warrington's chance to, yeah. to really put the pedal to the metal, but uh, there was a, a lot of holding. Uh, but uh, there was a lot of a lot of clutching. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. Josh did land some catchy shots in the last minute of the round, but certainly 10-9 rounds for Warrington in 11 and 12. Uh, to me, that was not enough to get it done, and uh, two out of the two, yeah. three judges agreed with that, and you had the exact same card as 115-113. Yeah, yeah. To me, like Lopez, he just uh, he he did a uh, really good early round, early on in the fight in the mid rounds, and they thought uh, he just he just took, he just took on a big lead uh, in the fights uh, to win it. Now it's funny you mentioned the the headbutt because you know Josh Warrington, he's always he's been kind of known as a dirty fighter, or he just comes in with his head, kind of like a Vander Holyfield, you know. And um, and that, I think that was also evident in the rematch when he fought uh, Mauricio Laura. The same thing, right? Caused the cause uh, cut by right, him. right. So, it's kind of like um, you know common for Josh in a Josh Warrington fight, you could say. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, I mean, impact the fight though. So yeah, I mean, there was a lot of questionable tactics. I mean, Lopez certainly did a his fair share of complaining about them. Uh, and, and it's interesting yeah. that you said Avanda Holyfield and the headbutts last week. We did a tribute. Uh, to uh, Mills Lane, and one of the most famous Mills Lane fights was the year bite fight between Tyson and Holyfield. And, you know, Mills Lane, and they, they, there was a video up on YouTube where a reporter is talking to him about the disqualification. And Lane, uh, Lane got a little testy with the reporter. He was like, uh, how many times would you like for him to bite him? before I disqualified him. It's like, there's a, there's a limit to everything, including bites. It's something to that effect. And the reporter was like, well, what about the headbutts? And Lane was like, oh, those were unintentional. Were they really? Was the headbutts of Holyfield's career unintentional? What do you think? Um, I, I, well, I would say uh, I don't know it's kind of hard to say. I mean, he, I mean, he, did, I mean, he did come in his head a lot in his fight. So, I mean, um, yeah, I, I, I so would I clearly did, say no. I think they were well calculated yeah. and part of his uh, repertoire, and he part got away game. with it. <laughs> and he got yeah, away well, with it. But they, they couldn't all be on by mistake. <laughs> And I definitely think Warrington fought the same way, but it was not enough to get him yeah. the victory this time around. Yeah. Perhaps we could see a rematch. I don't know. Let's switch gears now to the ESPN okay. main card. Uh, let's talk about the undercard with the three young studs, Jared Anderson, Xander uh, Zayas, and uh, Davis Kishant. Uh, well, what the heck is his name? Yeah. I'm drawing a blank oh, here. Keyshawn Davis. Davis. Keyshawn Davis. Yeah. Keyshawn Davis. Davis. There's, there's a bunch of them. There's Kelvin Davis. Keyshawn Davis yeah. is a big blue chipper. Let's start with those three. What was your impression of those fights? Uh, Timothy Bradley is very high on all three of them. Yeah, I, I, um, I thought they, I thought they all performed well. Um, Keyshawn Davis um, is, is, is looks good every time I see him. 
Um, I mean, I don't, you know, it was a good victory over a, you know, Juan Carlos Burgos, who was, uh, you know, a veteran of sport, but, you know, a guy that was able to give Keyshawn Davis rounds. But, you know, I mean, obviously, we know Burgos is um, best weight and past his best days as well. So, but, Rich, you know, a rugged veteran, Rich, a rugged veteran, you know. Rich, are you saying beating an old Burgos is like beating an old Linares? Would you agree with the most senior? Was it on the same level? Uh, well, <laughs> no. I mean, I, I still, I still gave a, I still a good win for Keyshawn Davis. But I mean, it was also expected that the the result, you know, him um, defeating him clearly was was going to happen. Because, like I said, like he's an older fighter, past his best days, and past his best weight. You know Not I mean? an easy Burgos. fighter to put away and dominate. And no. That's exactly what Davis yeah. did. So you got to give him credit for that. Yeah. Right, right. That's true. I know I do give him credit for that. No, for sure. For sure. That's this is that's part of the, you know, the growing process for, you know, for him. So, you know, he he's still he's still impressed regardless. That's the way I felt. And um for now for for now going to uh Xander Zayas, um same thing, like I, I wasn't too I felt like you said, like the the ESPN crew, especially Timothy Bradley, are very, uh, really critical on Zayas' performance. You know, he got the victory over uh, a tough fighter. Let's just right. So it wasn't like, you know, and, and to me, he was winning the rounds. Zayas was winning the rounds. You know what I mean? And, and the, the, the kid's only, what, 19, 20 years old? I mean, he's still got time to, you know, to develop. Right, 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 right. I, I try not to be too critical on these Those fighters, guys are very you know, harsh. But, they, they, yeah, they, yeah, they, 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 they get, they're harsh. They get touched up a little bit. The guy, you know, size gets touched up a little bit. It's like, oh, well, he's stayed the pocket too long, or his defense is poor, or he's got, you know, all this. He's got to work on that. And, <laughs> but you also have to look at the opponents, you know, who they fight. And, and in this case, Alexis Flores was a, was a pretty pretty tough guy. So, you know, and a guy to, to give around to Zayas and also test them out a little bit. And to me, Zayas still still did well. He performed well, and he got the victory. Yeah, to me, it's a kind of a double-edged sword. Uh, at, uh, in yeah. the sense, uh, I appreciate when these guys are a little critical in the sense that at least we yeah. know they're not following the script of the house guy. They're not afraid to yeah. say uh, negative things. It's not all a nice, uh, you know, lathering party, a Turkish bath yeah. with Tyson Fury type of thing that we always see. Tessator do, yeah. but at the same time, at the same time, you know, Timothy Bradley, I mean, I think they're way too, if they don't win by electrifying knockout each and every time, these guys, I think, are a little overboard with the criticism. I mean, uh, Andre Ward made a living on winner 12 that most, and most of the time were not that electric, so I don't know what the heck he's talking about all the time. And Timothy Bradley had his fair share of boring fights, fights where he couldn't get a guy out of there. So, uh, I mean, perhaps because they've been there and done that, uh, you know, it's okay. But, you know, Andre Ward thinks he he has a career that walked on water, and half the time I watched him, I fell asleep. (laughs) Yeah, I I think the – yeah, I think they're – like I think like you said, it's it's okay to be, you know – critical and, and, you know, say what a fighter needs to work on, but to be a little um, uh, too critical on it is, uh, you know, too early to, to, to do that, especially when these fighters, these fighters are developing right now. 
And like I said, I didn't see anything from Xander Zayas that that told me that like, well, he's he's already exposed, or you know, he's already done, or he's not as good as they make him out right. to be. It's 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 still it's still early, and to me, he still performed well, considering that he fought a you know pretty solid opponent. So that's the, that was my yeah, take I mean, on the fight. If you want to be harsh uh, and critical and find something to nitpick with, I think out of all the young studs. And I'm including Tiger Johnson in this, and I don't know why he keeps getting buried early on in cards on ESPN+. Plus. I think Zayas is the one that has grown the least since they started showcasing these guys. But he still has a heck of a lot of potential. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he, he does. He does. I mean, um, you know, but I, you know, I, I know he's uh, being uh, pumped up as the next Puerto Rican star. Uh, but I do see a little bit more in him, though, than, than the other, um, the super middleweight fighter, Edward Edgar Belenga. I think he's another one that they're, were, you know, they've been um, pumping up a lot there. But uh, like, for, you know, I don't like yeah. Berlinga. But Berlinga, I see, I see more holes in Berlinga's game. Let's just put it that way. So. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. I, I think they're trying to get past Berlinga. I mean, I think they realize that they yeah. got themselves a fugazi with Berlinga. Uh, you know, yeah. I don't know how you knew that that guy, that that guy, that that diamond was a fugazi. Yeah, I, I think Berlanga's a clear <laughs> fugazi, and I think that's why they're yeah. talking about Xander being the headliner of the Puerto Rican yeah. uh, Day Parade sure. weekend. Yeah. I mean, it was Berlanga, and he, he's been he's, he, he's been stuck in the mud. He's not growing, and that you know the, the fact that they're talking about Zayas in that spot tells you right mm-hmm. there what they what they what their plans are for Belanger. Exactly. Yeah, they're shifting towards Zayas. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, what about uh, the big for, for, what about uh, the big heavyweight? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, so for same thing for Jared Anderson. Uh, I think he he looks he looked really good. He uh, knocked out uh, Jerry Forrest with two rounds, and you know Jerry Forrest was a uh, you know. A guy, um, a solid opponent, pretty much fought um, all, all the tough guys. So I mean, it was it was a good, impressive um, win. I know I I know Anderson got clipped a few punches in the first round, but he was able to take it, apply the pressure, and um, you know use use his um, power punches. You know he would go into the body to the head, and and um, his uh, TKO victory over Jared Anderson was uh, was was good. Because like I said, you know. Um, I'm sorry, over Jerry Forrest. Jerry Forrest, because like I said, Jerry Forrest has fought right, um, right, right, some really right. tough guys. And a lot of those guys, you know, this is, I mean, the way I look at it, it's a lot of, he took a lot of the tough guys a distance. So, and, you know, big notable names, even, you know, guys like Michael Hunter, uh, Zelly Zhang, just off the top of my head. So, uh, just by him doing that. Yeah, uh, uh, Jermaine Franklin, too, just uh, almost beat Dillian White. He went, then he goes. Then he he damn near yeah. beat Jermaine Franklin. Some people thought he did. Uh, yeah, I mean it, it was yeah. it was it was very strategic and savvy matchmaking mm-hmm. on the part of Top Rank because uh, while Slogger is built to last, goes to distance with all of these guys, Mister Magoo wouldn't have had a hard time finding him. So they wanted to see exactly how Anderson's power stacked up and we found that out he did get clipped with some big shots but didn't seem uh mm-hmm. to bother him but i think now we're at the stage where we want to see 
Jared Anderson against the next level. He's talking about, you know, he wants to fight the best now. And then he goes and throws out Michael Hunter. I'm not exactly sure that equates to the best, but uh, Michael Hunter okay. is probably a slight step up uh, from Juarez and certainly a step up to the, all the opponents before. A lot of people are high on Anderson. I always have the weight yeah. and see approach with a lot of these heavyweights. You, you just don't know. I think there's a lot to like about him, but I'm not ready to say, oh, this guy is the second coming just yet. Uh, yeah. Heavyweights, it's, it's always different. So it's, it's always about how yeah, you can take that one punch. punch. <laughs> it takes one punch, but I mean, but so far, you know, he's, he's, he's looking the part, and I guess the, the the one thing that's that's good on him is that he's he's only 23 years old. So that's that's the that's that's good considering that you know a lot of the uh, you know top heavyweights today are you know they're like in their 30s or mid 30s. You know like he's still got uh, quite a ways to go of being at the age of uh, 23. So he's got the, the that youth on his side at the moment. But uh, he, like I said, he plays the part. It looks good, and he's got the you know knockout power. So look, looking forward to seeing him again. And if he doesn't make it, he always has a shot uh, on Broadway or something. He definitely likes to uh, <laughs> uh, you know get into he's character. You know, one fight he looked like Huggy Bear from uh, Starsky and Hutch. Uh, this weekend he was the Grinch. Uh, he loves to play dress up, so he's got a career on Broadway right. if the boxing uh, doesn't work out for him. Right? I mean, because, yeah, yeah, you look at him and you look at the best of the, the, the top of the heavyweight division now, and the chances are, like you said, he's not even going to get matched up with those guys. But I, I don't see mm-hmm. him doing much against the Usyk. Uh, I can't see him being able to deal with the, the smothering style of Fury. Uh, mm-hmm. Wilder, can he hold up to the right hand of Wilder? It'd be a lot different story if Wilder connects with a flush shot yeah. rather than that rather than Slugger. But I don't think we're going to get to see any of that. I think, like like you said, they're going to take their time and wait for all those guys yeah. to be said and done before they try and test them on the championship level. But uh, at what yeah, point I think, I you got at some point you got to put him in tough though. Yeah, and I think I think the next step would would be that like you know since he got past uh, Jerry Forrest, I mean he could start looking at maybe. Uh, you know, I think good fights maybe between um, maybe the Cuban, Frank Sanchez, or even uh, the Croatian, uh, Felipe Hergovic. I think those would be good good tests for Anderson soon, you know. So I think that would be, that would be the route to go for him. Yeah, definitely a lot of toys in the top yeah. rank. Uh, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but, uh, you know, they're, they're churning these guys out all the time on television. Uh, and these guys are getting the, the prime spot on regular ESPN. So uh, I, I'm sure there were a lot of eyeballs uh, uh, Saturday night, and those eyeballs yeah. of Saturday night were treated to uh, the main event of Tiafimo Lopez Jr. against Sander Martin. And this was originally supposed to be Tiafimo Lopez Jr. against Jose Pedraza in that fight. Fell through, and I was uh, I was not really that excited going into this fight, and mm-hmm. I did not think that uh, Lopez was going to have much trouble at all. Uh, I thought he would win. I thought the fight had a chance to be a little bit on the dull side. 
uh, Christian Judice, who I talked to off the air, said that, uh, you know, before the fight, I want to give him credit. He's like, oh, I think this counterpunch is going to give Lopez trouble. Uh, the only thing that, that might be a problem is, you know, Martinez doesn't have much pop, and he certainly did give him trouble. And uh, before I give my thoughts on it, what did you think of the fight? Uh, well, I but before going to the fight, um, I have to be honest with you. When they when they announced Sandor uh, Martin as the replacement opponent for Pedraza, I, I personally thought that Martin will give Lopez a little bit more problems. Not not the, the problems that we saw th- this past weekend, but I thought you know you know because like you said, the lack of power. I didn't think he's gonna be you know obviously much of a threat to Lopez. I figured Lopez would have issues early, but he would you know pick up and you know, eventually take over the fight, dominate, or even stop uh, Martin. But at the same time, like, I've, you know, I've seen Martin in the past. He's a great boxer, and I figured, you know, going to the fight, I said, well, Lopez needs to stay focused, and my thinking was he better not take Martin lightly. And with the fight itself, um, and that's exactly what happened. Like you said, it was not really – it was not an exciting fight. It was more of a dull fight. Um, but uh, – I thought it was a, a close fight. It was a close fight. Lopez uh, definitely was put on the pressure. There was a lot of punches that he was missing. He, he looked frustrated in spots. Uh, Martin, I think he was just, you know, doing his thing, you know, moving, boxing, um, doing what he normally does. The problem for Martin, which well, maybe he's made rounds close, was that he should have thrown more punches in the fight um, to – because now when we went to the scorecards and then went towards the end, um, it just felt like it was like a really close fight that, uh, you know, could have gone either way. For me personally, I thought um, Martin won the fight. I thought he did enough to, to win the fight. Um, I thought Tiafimo lost. Uh, he's, and also, you know, I don't know if you noticed, but like even at the ninth round, he, he showed the frustration. Are you out of your fucking mind? That wasn't me. That's the Fimo Senior. Sorry, I can't control him sometimes. <laughs> yeah, sounds, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just, yeah, I felt, I felt Martin did enough to win the fight, and uh, like I say, it was, it wasn't an exciting fight, but um, I, I felt maybe there, you know, there was a round, maybe round or two of swing rounds, but like I say, it, it's uh, a fight I thought Martin, um, you know, deserved to win, so. Um, and with the scorecards, uh, I think it was a, one of the scores was 97-92. I mean, I mean, obviously that was – I thought that was a terrible scorecard. I didn't see that that kind of fight with Teofimo Lopez. Yeah, I mean, uh, I thought the, they clearly blew the second knockdown. I thought it was clearly a knockdown. Yeah. But the sad thing is that wouldn't affect that 97-92 card for Lopez. He still would have won even if they scored it a knockdown. Yeah. Which is crazy. Which is crazy. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, yeah the, definitely the the seventh the seventh round. Yeah. Definitely should have been a knockdown. It definitely should have been right. a knockdown. So. I mean, I I don't know if I'd say I could say I thought Martin won. I I, I was I, mm-hmm. I was thinking draw would would be the most appropriate call. Uh, I definitely would have thought a uh, one point or one round win by either fighter would have been appropriate. But ninety seven ninety seven ninety two for Lopez, considering that Martin did get credit. 
for a knockdown. To, for the knockdown. Uh, earlier in the round means that that judge only gave Martin two rounds, which makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, and, and by me, um, I think he – I think I was able to look at the, the official judge's scorecards, and, yeah, I think the uh, – I think that um, – that judge, I think he only gave rounds. Um, I think he gave rounds. I think the second run to Martin. I want to say he gave the tenth. No, no, maybe the twelfth. I think. Not for sure on that, but it was only definitely the two rounds. And I thought uh, that just you know took the credit away from Martin because to me Martin just did didn't did much better than. than well, so, it would have been the tenth because yeah. it was a ten round fight. It couldn't have been the twelfth. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, that's right. That's yeah. right. Right. But it was only yeah, two was rounds, like the, which is crazy. Right. It's crazy. I mean, the, yeah. the knockdown yeah. round means that uh, if it wasn't a knockdown, it would have been 98, uh, 92. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. No. Uh, I don't understand that. But and, uh, I don't and, uh, you well, know. You know, I've, I've heard very – say again? No, it was in this uh, – well, I mean, he was fighting his uh, – he was fighting his hometown. So, you know, it doesn't – He's the he's the uh, the house fighter, so it doesn't it doesn't really surprise me that he, he gets a scorecard like that, you know, meaning Tiafimo Lopez. So. Right, right, but I mean, uh, and, uh, you know, as far as I saw, I didn't get a chance to, to scan uh, the internet and social media like I like to after a big weekend. But the minimal look looks I gave, I didn't see much backlash for that ninety seven ninety two scorecard. I thought that was an outrageous scorecard. It was, it was, it was, and that's and that's where you know we have to um, have these judges, res- you know, responsible for these bad scorecards. You know, even even sometimes if the the right guy wins, but one judge right. you know has a, like an outlandish score, you know, different you know from the opposite fighter, I and mean, we still gotta call it out too, you know. Cause we have to call it well, out and, and put it uh, out there. And in, the, and, <laughs> yeah. and in this case, right, and in this case, uh, a fair share of people thought Martin won. So if you're thinking yeah. Martin won, yeah. how, how are you not screaming from the hills about a scorecard that was delivered by a paid professional that only gave him two rounds in the damn yeah. fight? Makes no sense. Right. It, 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 it's like, you know, by the, this is what drives me crazy about uh, boxing is we always uh, have the bullhorn out for things that are, are are either fabricated, overblown, or doesn't do much good. And what I mean by that, we're looking at uh, Lopez and Warrington. A great story for boxing, right? Lopez, like you said, goes into Warrington's backyard, wins an exciting 12-round fight. Warrington performs like a champion after a rough start, comes back, hurts the guy late, almost puts him away, damn near pulls out a victory after a a tough start. Great story for boxing, and nobody's talking about it. What what are people saying? And you said it yourself, Rich. Well, we need to see more of this. No, we don't. We see it every weekend. Every weekend we see great story, and we don't give it enough credit. And then when we see a terrible scorecard like this, we we poo poo past it. Those are the big problems with boxing. I don't mean to pick on you, Rich Lopez, but you did say. It. No, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. No, it, 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 you got a little bit of you know, like the good and bad over the past weekend. You know that the, I like I said the scoring was the issue for me for the Martin Lopez fight, but then the Warrington, you know, versus the other the Alberto, Alberto Lopez, 
in that case, a great fight where the judges actually got it right, right? So Right. It's a great story yeah. all around, and nobody's yeah. talking about it. And if they are talking about it, it's yeah. not, they're not talking about it in, in, in the same respect that uh, of something that happened on the weekend of 1982, and I can't figure out why. <laughs> I'm sorry, Rich. I, I didn't, yeah. This is just no, this right. is just a very touchy subject for me. But anyway, no, I, uh, I mean, uh, Lopez, regardless of whether you thought he won or lost, seriously laid an egg, and him and his dad's act are getting old, right? Uh, what I mean by that is, what does he do after the fight? He bitches and moans that Martin didn't want to fight him. He danced or whatever he said. He said, I need a better dance partner to look good. Well, I'm sorry. You need to, if you are the best and you want to be the takeover, you got to figure out how to look good and beat up even guys like that. I mean, and that brings me to our next fight with the monster and Paul Butler. I mean, we we saw the two sides of the coin. I mean, Butler fought such a safety defensive first fight. He made Xander Martin look like the second coming of Bobby Chacon. But anyway, kept pressing. He kept figuring out. He kept touching. He kept touching. And then finally, he blew the guy away in the 11th round. That's why NUA is on the top of the pound-for-pound list or damn near close to it. And that's why Lopez's stock is sinking lower and lower and lower. So I agree. Going going back to to that uh, interview with um, Lopez, yeah, I mean, he he wants me to take over like he should have took over his his opponent, Martin. you hear that a lot about fighters, you know, the fighters saying, or even people saying, oh, he just ran. Well, he didn't run. He was he was right there. He was just moving. He was boxing. He wasn't running. He was just a fighter that, you know, Martin, that made Lopez look bad. And, and Lopez, you know, was, was frustrated. I did not did not look good. You know, even after the post-fight conference, I mean, that was more of a, of a, you know, to do it for show. But afterwards, they caught him off, you know, on the camera asking him, his trainer or his father, like, he still has it. I don't know if you caught that, but <laughs> he's, he's literally saying, like, he still has it. So that tells me right there how he really felt about the fight, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, uh, yep. I mean, nobody was higher on Tiafimo Lopez than I was. When he fought Lomachenko, uh, Ron Christian comes on here all the time and says it. I was telling everybody. I told everybody, right? That Lopez was going to beat Lomachenko. Uh, and some people were giving him a puncher's chance, and I said, no, it's just the opposite. Lomachenko's only chance to beat Lopez is if he hits him and hurts him with a power shot and gets him out of there. If it's a boxing match, Lopez is going to win. But I've seen very little to like from Tiafimo Lopez since that time in many, many ways. Inactivity, not all this nonsense with Thriller Fight Club and these delays with the, the Cambosis fight taking forever and then performing poorly in that fight. I mean, he came back towards the end, almost pulled it out, but 
I and then his first fight at 140 was very uh, underwhelming. And I think him and his father are more interested now in being celebrities and talking uh, and performing these videos where they're dancing together all the time than improving, honing their craft, focusing on where to improve. I don't think they're doing any of that. And I think that's why we're seeing these bold performances. No, I agree. I, 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 I agree with that assessment. I think he's got to, you know, definitely regroup and see what they could, they could change. Um, it's all, it's more going to be on Lopez himself because definitely, you know, it's going to be harder for him to win fights or be impressed, especially fighting the top guys at 140, guys like Josh Taylor or like Regis Progray, you know? So um, maybe, you know, I think, or maybe this is it. We, we don't know yet, but maybe this is it. Maybe this is just as the best we'll see him. Who knows? For, for me, maybe it's on Teofimo Lopez, so. I mean, if I know anything about anything, there's no way he's fighting anybody that tough at 140 after that performance. He's not touching a pro gray or a Josh Taylor or even Catterall if Catterall happens to beat Taylor in a rematch the next fight out. There's, there's no way he's going tougher. Uh, no way he's fighting one of the top 140 guys. I would love to see it. I would love to be proven wrong, but that's my early prediction yeah. for the new year. He's going to fight somebody. Yeah, uh, he's he's going to fight somebody that... Uh, is willing to engage, doesn't have much power, uh, so he can look good. Yeah. Oh, we'll see. Yeah, I agree Somebody who looked spectacular, 2.30 in the a.m., this card started on <laughs> December 13th in Japan. But those of who those who got to watch it saw a damn treat in the main event. I mean, how good, and I've been yeah. on this guy for a while, too. How good is the Japanese monster? Unbelievable performance, I thought. He's great. He's great. Um, he, he, I mean, he, he could probably go down as one of the best, uh, you know, Japanese fighters of all time. I, I think this this guy has it all, and even he even um, looked great against an opponent that didn't want to fight, a guy that was in survival mode. Paul Butler was basically just looking to survive that fight. Um, you know, he's good, you know, he has, he had good defense, you know, was moving pretty well, but he wasn't throwing no punches, you know, I just was seemed to be content to make the distance with anyway and anyway, you know, still put on the show. He still was, uh, you know, working combinations, going to the body, you know, even the breaking the guard of, of Butler and eventually, you know, by round by round, breaking him down and finally got him out in the 11th round, uh, consider that. Paul, the way Paul Butler was fighting, uh, so it was a spectacular performance by uh, anyway. Um, and for me, I I don't know like what's the next step for for anyway, but I I don't think I don't think anybody in the the bantam, I I think he's nobody can beat him in that bantamweight division. I think it's gonna be a case where he's gonna eventually have to move up to 122. But I like the speed, the power, the movement. Uh, you know, he, he's shown that he's tough. If you can go back to the Nico Ronier fight, the first fight where he had a broken what, jaw over the, uh, over the bone, he fought through mm. it. So he's also shown that he could take a shot as well. And that's also a lot of key to great fighters too, you know, taking a good shot. Um, but, yeah, I think he's one of the best. For, for me, um, he looks good every time I see him. And uh, he, you could make a case, you know, he's top, even top two pound for pound uh, fighters in the world today 
Uh, he's been my number one for a long time, and I don't think that's going to change anytime uh, soon. And yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think he, I, I think that that's what's in the cards. He's going to move up. That was his last mm-hmm. fight at bantamweight. Uh, he wins the four belts yeah. at bantamweight, and now I think he's going to step up. They were, they were already talking about a possible showdown with him and Fulton. How great would that be for 2023? Yeah. I, I mean, what I love about anyway is that I have just about all of his fights from his early days. Uh, you see the growth. You see the improvement uh, with the defense. Right, uh, he got hit quite a bit in yeah. that Donaire fight, and you could tell he didn't like it. So he went and worked on his defense. Yeah. He didn't just talk talk about, oh, I'm the best, I'm the best, that blah blah blah. He went and he worked on it. He went to the wild card gym. We worked on his defense, and you've seen him yeah. improve immensely. I mean, it, those early Japan fights were were the same thing where he was. Uh, getting into firefights and getting hit quite a bit in those fights. And uh, he's worked on that, and he's a much better uh, defensive fighter. I mean, he's never going to be considered Wilfred Benitez. But guess what? Wilfred Benitez got hit a lot, too. Uh, but, you know, yeah. he's, going, you know he, he's definitely not a guy that's just going to sit there and trade. And I, I think he, I mean, basically, he's one of the best fighters I've ever seen, period. Never mind uh, yeah. j- uh, Japanese fighters, and we, we definitely want to see uh, more from him. But uh, yeah, I mean, 2023, uh, things are looking good. I-, I-, I think things are looking good. I mean, if we're just hanging on the hopes of Crawford and Spence, if the- if boxing is only as good as Crawford and Spence happening, then you're probably going to be disappointed. But uh, if that's the way you think, well, that- that's very casual of you. Thank you very much. But uh, I, I guess we could spend a couple of seconds on it. I didn't watch Crawford's fight. Did you? I was able to see some um, highlights of the fight. Um, and, you know, of course, the, the knockout of, of in the sixth round. Uh, from what I was seeing, you know, um, David David Anishian was actually, you know, doing, doing the best he can. He was going forward on Crawford. He was actually landing a few shots. And I know he landed a few um right hands on Crawford, but, you know, I can see Crawford, as you know, Crawford's a slow starter, takes his time, but he was working well with uh, combinations, throwing good jabs and lands the body. Um, basically, he was breaking down at, at Nisian, and he just caught him with, uh, it was like a, a left body shot and a, a right hand um, that knocked him out cold, basically. But it was, to me, expected, I mean, I think it was pretty much expected from everyone that Crawford was going to knock out David Nisian. So, uh, just there wasn't too too much to it, you know, because I like Anisha. I know he's been knocked out uh, prior in his career, uh, like it's the Lithuanian Fire, the Mean Machine, uh, a couple years back. But uh, I mean, mm-hmm. he, he did what he was supposed to do, and uh, looks like he had a you know had a good crowd there up in Omaha, Nebraska, um, where the fight took place. Uh, did his thing. Hopefully, we get to see the Spence Crawford uh, fight next. Uh, I don't know if we we will, but. Hopefully sometime uh, next year. But for for Crawford, no, he did thing. He looked good. Um, it's a matter of you know, like I said, we get that that mega fight. I I didn't get the fight. I wasn't wasn't going to pay the pay per view for streaming a fight on was it, uh, BLK Prime, which is the which is the um, uh, company that was you know doing the doing mm-hmm. the fight. So <laughs> I know even I think the price tag was like forty dollars.
something that, and from my understanding, I'm hearing rumblings that the numbers weren't even, they did yeah. well anyways. Oh, so, I don't know how it could. Which was expected, which was expected. So. Right. I mean, if you paid me $40 to watch that, I probably would have turned it down. And I watch everything. I mean, I, I am just so fed up with Bud Crawford. I, I think he, he, he he's blowing the chance of being considered an all-time great. And that's very hard to do in this day and age because no matter what you do, you're, you're never going to be good as the guys of yesteryear. That's just the, the narrative, mm-hmm. and I don't think that narrative has ever changed. But – I think Bud Crawford is one guy that if he fought the right people could be considered in the same breath to some extent, but he doesn't do it. I'm it's just so frustrating yeah. with this guy. When a, a, a Julius Indongo is, a, is another champion, no problem fighting him, but all these other champions, mm-hmm. uh, top names, even a guy like Ugas, it's a headache. You can't get the yeah. guy in the ring. Jeff Horn, no problem. Uh, I mean, you couldn't. He couldn't even make a fight with Manny Pacquiao at an extended age. It's like any. This guy never gets into the ring with anybody you want to see. It's ridiculous. You mentioned Edge's Mean Machine. When he somehow yeah. becomes the number one contender, no problem. Let's make the fight. Virgil Ortiz, Boots, and it's number one contender. Who the heck are they? I don't know who they are. It's so frustrating <laughs> because he could be so great. I, I think he beats them all. Because Boots, I think is the, Boots and is the only one I think that could give him a fight. Why doesn't he fight these guys? Yeah, and that's that's what we need to see. You know, as I mean, he's been at the um, oh, what he's been at the welterweight division. I mean, for since at least 20, 2018, I believe. So when he, when he won the title from Jeff Horn, but yeah, it's been there for a while. And then we, yeah, it's time to start seeing some of these other fights. I mean, of course, Spence is the way to go, but like you said, I don't think we're going to see those other fights either against Virgil Ortiz or even uh, Boots Ennis. So we'll see what comes out, you know, what happens later for, for uh, Terrence Crawford. But either way, it's an expected win for him. So he, he did what he had to do. So. And regardless, if he keeps going this route, I think he still finds himself in the International Boxing Hall of Fame nonetheless, and that's where we're going to go next. Uh, Rich Lopez, we're talking with Rich Lopez of BoxingGuru.com mm-hmm. a little bit later on. I'll do this date in boxing history, and we'll also hear from Alicia Ashley. But uh, the names were released last Wednesday, Modern Fighters. I thought was pretty much a, a, a big surprise. Rafael Marquez, Timothy Bradley, Carl Froch, the three modern males. I was shocked. Marquez is the only one that did not surprise me. Now, I have a vote. I vote on everything but the females. So, and I, I try to keep my ballot concealed. I don't try and reveal it, although I tip my hand a little bit just there, who I didn't vote for. But uh, and I realize a lot of people like to disclose that they vote for. I don't like going that route, but I was surprised that these three made it. The one name that I always say I voted for, because you know, even before I had a vote, I wrote an article of who I would vote for, and that fighter was Chris John. So, I, you know, Chris John there's the only person I ever say I'm voting for. The others are kind of like keep quiet. I am shocked 
both Timothy Bradley and Carl Frotch got more check marks than Chris John. Rich Lopez, I know you go to the Boxing Hall of Fame. You were brave enough to buy my book at the Boxing Hall of Fame card show. What say you? Yeah. Um, so, okay. So, for my opinion, yeah. I Well, first of all, I think the um, – uh, like I was surprised for for the uh, for the new the class in the modern category, but not too surprised because I you know it, it seems to me that uh, you know most of the voters um, they are voting for um, you know a lot of fighters that they that they like you know fighters on, uh, maybe more on the personal level, and I did see a lot of um, you know a lot of uh, you know social media, you know, and seeing that, like, how Carl Frock was, was going to get the votes and Tim Bradley especially were going to get the votes. And um, now, to me, are they worthy of Hall of Fame induction? You know, I, I, for me, like, Carl Frock and Tim Bradley, uh, more Tim Bradley, they're, for me, they're on the ballots, that's fine. You know, as far as voting, well, you know, that's debatable. To me, they're kind of just, for me, they're, like, borderline. Um, but... It doesn't surprise me they got in because I saw a lot of people saying that they were going to vote these guys in. So that kind of leaves me like, I think a lot of the uh, voters for the Hall of Fame, I, I think, are just kind of voting based on you know fighters that they like or fighters that they covered during their lifetime. So they these are kind of more of the current fighters that recently retired. So I think a lot of it has to do with that, and I think that's why um, a lot of the fighters that. Um, that been the ballots for quite some years, you know, fighters from the nineties or even the eighties, uh, that are worthy of Hall of Fame induction still get the shaft. You know, they still they still get the shaft as far as an induction. You know, there's a few in my mind I think that, you know, belong in the Hall of Fame, but they never get the another like you said, enough checks. And I think it has a lot to do with the voters and how they voted, like fighters that they covered. But also, uh, Anthony, I also think, too, it's the Hall of Fame. I think um, it wouldn't pertain to, to, to this ballot, but I think it could go back to, like, from three-year, back to where it was, the five-year eligibility, because I know it's a three-year now, but it used to be five. And also maybe have four boxers on a modern character inducted as opposed to three. So I think those are the first changes that the Hall of Fame needs to work on is that the eligibility, who they put in the ballot. And then the second piece would be the voters, right? Like, because I, I did see a lot of that and I saw like, well, Tim, Tim Bradley did, you know, great in his career and great champion, you know, great guy. And this is that. So it seemed like there were a lot of check marks on, you know, kind of fighters they like and covered. Uh, let me know what, what, you, what you think on that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I did not vote for any of those three guys. I'll make that known. Uh, Mark and Marquez is the only one I could understand. I I don't understand how Brock and and Bradley get in over a lot of guys, not just the guys I voted for that didn't get in, but a a lot of guys. I don't understand it. I mean, we're, we're now rewarding guys like a Carl Frock who just fought a lot of names and lost most of the big ones. Yeah. I mean, there's a, some good wins. Uh, don't get me wrong, but there are a lot of guys like that who didn't, who who aren't in. I mean, uh, there there yeah. there are yeah. guys that guys that, that dominated their weight class, multiple title defenses. 
uh, for the life of me, I don't understand why Chris John is not in already. And I don't, I, I just, it doesn't make any sense to me. Chris John yeah, deserves the Hall of Fame much more than all three of those guys, even Marcus. You know, and, and also, you know, there's other other names that I, you know, that I like to see out there. I'm, you know, like, uh, I like, you know, Nigel Ben or even like, you know, um, Gilberto Roman, the, the, the uh, super flyweight champion from the 80s, you know, uh, Roberto, Roberto Vasquez, you know, Puerto Rico. I mean, there's a couple, few other ones, but uh, I think, um, like I said, I, overall, I don't have like a huge problem with the, the induction of Bradley, Brock, and Marquez. But like I said, it, um, I think like me, if I was a voter, like I wouldn't um, have voted for those guys. I would vote for some other guys. I think um, a little bit more worthy, but they've been kind of been on the ballots for a long time. You see, they to get their just due. Um, but I think a lot of it has to do with like kind of what I mentioned in my my opinion about you know the how the voting process goes and the eligibility and then the, it goes back to once again the voters. It's you know like I said I, I noticed especially Tim Bradley is very you know highly regarded from the begin with you know and I think it's because you know people cover the fights or you know like the fights or like his personality or you know and that's why he got a lot of checks on the on the ballot. Well, here's a question for you. Does yeah. Timothy Bradley get into the Boxing Hall of Fame if he was never uh, an, uh, an announcer for ESPN and top rank? Uh, well, that's that's a I, I, you know I don't want to say too much on that, but about you know what it's a it's a possibility. I mean, maybe like I said, I mean, like a cool guy. He seems like a great personality, his, of course. Let's say know. his career ends. And he has the turnout that like a Rocky Lockridge has. He's not getting in the Hall of Fame. Come on now, let's be real. Yeah, it was it wasn't based just on work product. Right, right. No, it's a possibility. It's a possibility. Well, same thing with Carl Frock. I think he's also kind of a uh, pretty popular British fighter, and he does commentary too, I believe, for Sky Sports. You know, so these guys are are still in the boxing scene. And they're definitely popular among fans, and they, you know, and they're out there doing, uh, you know, they have these commentating gigs, and you know, they're doing a good job at it overall. And it, it could, there could be a lot of that, you know. I and mean, there's a lot of people that just kind of like, well, Brock deserves it, or Tim Bradley deserves it. Like for me personally, like uh, being as a voter, I wouldn't, um, you know, check the mark. I mean, I don't have a problem with them being there, but it's just uh, what throws me off is that I think a lot of fighters, um, there's a lot more fighters that are worthy of those fighters and they're just not getting recognized. And a lot of the voters are just not doing the research. That's just the way I look at it. They're just not doing the research on this. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, mean, I they, they just want to, they just want to see fighters in like once again, that they like, or they, they definitely covered during their lifetime as a you know, boxing media writer or, you know, along with the, you know, whatever, they, whatever media outlet they work for or who they write for. Um, because it's kind of, I kind of have an issue with like, well, you know, guys like, you know, like, like I mentioned before, Nigel Ben or Gilberto Roman, uh, have not been inducted to the Hall of Fame as of yet. And I know for a fact they're on the ballots for quite a while. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of guys with, uh, Mm. a, a big argument and a very good argument, uh, over these guys. You mentioned a few 
I mean, Darius Mikulszewski gets no love, and he, he had a great career as a yeah. light heavyweight champion. Ponjisak, Wajikamo, however you say his name. I mean, yeah, I mean, come on now. Yep. Uh, you, know, Ramon, uh, you know, even Vinny Paz, I think, uh, has a claim over sure. Timothy Bradley. <laughs> Definitely over Timothy Bradley. Yeah, and and, and, and one, more, one more thing, too. Like I said, I don't want to, like, because, uh, you know, the, some of the International Boxing Hall of Fame, I, this, I've been there four times, and I just want to say it's always a great experience to meet the fighters and, you know, the fans, you know, people like yourself. And, you know, that's, it's a good time for, for everybody, for the boxing fans. But we're, but in this case, like, we're talking about the class, the voting, and also, too, for the, the, for the ballots itself. Um, you know, it's another thing that stands out is like, you know, we can have Tim Bradley or Carl Froch on the on the ballot or even like uh, Fernando Vargas, let's just say. But yeah, we're not seeing other name fighters on the ballot like an Iran Barkley or even a Marlon Starling, which is another big one. Like I'm very puzzled that they're not even considered to be on the ballot, you know. So that's another. Right. Exactly. That's another yeah, thing I mean, that's it... really flawed. The ballots are flawed to begin with as far as that because. Those guys, whether you feel they're not Hall of Fame worthy or not, should be on the ballot, right? On the ballot, should be on the ballot, you know, at least. Right. So. I I said the same thing about Greg Algen in, yeah. in, in the book I wrote about him. I mean, uh, yeah. I don't know if I could make a case that he definitely belongs in the Hall of Fame, but I could make a strong case that he definitely deserves to be on the ballot to be considered. Well, I I I uh, for as far as Greg Algen, I think he belongs in the in the ballot, you know, there's, you know, like I said, there's other fighters too. And, uh, and that's, and that's, and that's the thing is that, you know, there's, there's, it's a little bit flawed as far as like who they put in the ballots and the three-year eligibility, which um, when they changed that, wasn't like a big fan of that either. And well, that was a joke. At least four that fighters, terrible. at least four fighters, at least four fighters, you know, to, to be inducted instead of three, you know? So, so yeah, that's kind know. of the, the issue throughout the I don't know if I agree with that, but I definitely agree with uh, the f- going back to the five years. I mean, I, I like how the baseball Hall of Fame does things. Uh, you know, to me, there shouldn't be a, a set and guaranteed number. I know you want to have a weekend, but uh, if you have a set guaranteed number, I mean, you know, what if there's a year where there's not three guys that are Hall of Fame worthy? Well, three guys got to get in anyway. So that, that that's kind of like iffy for me. But, uh, you know, Regardless of the fact, if all goes well, I will be there in June. I, I will, even though I mainly disagree, I, I will be there uh, having fun. I will, if I can get to Timothy Bradley, try and get an autograph. Same with Hakal Frotch, even though I don't agree with it. You know, I don't want to take away from their, their oh, yeah. spotlight. They, they certainly had great careers and, uh, yeah. you know, spilt blood for us. So I, I will celebrate with them, even though I don't agree with the choices. Well, yeah, yeah, and that's that's kind of like for you know, usually the box hall of fame is you know there's always could be a a fighter where you don't agree with, but ultimately they're there to you know celebrate uh, along with them, and you know overall like you know Tim Bradley and Carl Frock, I mean they all had uh, uh, great careers and uh, you know they did good things in boxing, um, they provided some obviously you know Mar- Rafael Marquez, uh, you know the trilogy with Israel Vasquez, you know. Um, were great fights, and then you know he has those signature wins over Mark Two Sharp Johnson and Timothy Tim Austin. I mean, you know, 
And then with, with Bradley, you know, he had a great run at 140, you know. He's unifying titles, speeding names like Kendall Halt, you know, Junior Witter, you know. And that was a good thing about Bradley. You know, he, he did defeat Junior Witter over in England. So he was one of those guys that took the gamble, kind of like we talked about with Lopez earlier, and won that title. Um, I think his I think his win, the championship run at Welterick, a little, little overrated, though, because, you know, obviously I felt that, you know, he, he – didn't win that fight against Pacquiao. I know it's not his fault. I know it's not his fault to his judges, but that's a you know a fight that's controversial. I felt like he didn't he didn't win. Um, and and we had the, the win over Marquez, which was a good a good win over uh, Juan Manuel Marquez. But there was also a little, in my opinion, a little, I know people make a big deal about the win, but to me it's a little, it's a little tad um, overrated, you know, as well. Because I always look at Marquez as you know a featherweight slash lightweight, you know, fighting in the welterweight class almost at the age of 40 years old, you know, against <laughs> Tim Bradley. Yeah. And, and even there, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like Bradley, like, handled him or dominated him or knocked him out or nothing like that. You know what I mean? If, if Timothy Bradley and Andre up. Ward, if Timothy Bradley and Andre Ward watched that fight, they, they would have killed the, the, the performance of Timothy Bradley. They wouldn't have praised it for a win. <laughs> Well, maybe not, maybe not, but, <laughs> but you know, based on their critique, but yeah, but either way, I mean, um, no, they're, like I said, I have, I have the, ultimately, I have no problem with these fighters being in, but like you said, I think Marquez, um, we've got more of a check mark for me, but like I said, I have no problem with either guys going the Hall of Fame. Like I said, they are, you know, it's, you know, it's always a debatable, Hall of Fame is always debatable, but, you know, we just wanted to go over the issues of what it, what's, what's going on with the voting, right? So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I didn't vote for any of them. I, I, I didn't vote for any of them, so I want an investigation. No, I'm just joking. Another surprise was in the old-timer <laughs> category. Uh, a lot of people thought it was thought Marvin. This is Marvin Johnson's year. You had a lot of guys that oh, were, yeah, you know, yeah. you had also Eddie Mustafa Muhammad. You had Rodrigo Valdez. You had the uh, Jesus. Yeah. A lot of guys with a lot of te- television exposure. And they, they wind up giving it to Tiger Jack Fox and uh, Pony mm. Kinpich. First of all, I thought only one old-timer got in. So I'm still trying to find out what happened there. I mean, uh, Tiger uh, Jack Fox, he certainly – I mean, he had a lot of knockouts and all of that. So, But uh, yeah, it, it, a lot of people feel bad for uh, for uh, Mr. Marvin Johnson once again. I mean, it took so long for him to get on the ballot, and now here he is again. He didn't get it. Yeah, and that's that goes back to our, you know, the the problems that we're addressing. It's like sometimes they, you know, what's why are these guys taking a long time to be on the ballot, you know, to to begin with, you know? So um, yeah, I have no problem with the only uh, Kimpatek to be inducted. You know, he's one of the, the the Thai legends and first Thai champion, I believe, in, in boxing. But um, some other names you mentioned that yeah, they should be on there. Um, you know, so you would think they would get there in like Rigo Valdez, Stephen Jesus, you know, Marvin Johnson. So, but for for the for the ballot for the old timer, is it two? It's always it's two that get selected, or is it one? I thought it ones. said only. I thought it said only one gets chosen. Okay. Uh, uh, I mean, you can vote up to five. That's the only part I know. Yeah. Uh, let me let me see if I okay. can pull up my ballot real quick. Uh, okay. And I'll see, but I'm trying to find out what the heck happened there. 
as two names got in, I usually try and talk to Lee Groves about these things. He knows all that stuff, but uh, I haven't. Well, Lee, yeah. I, I haven't uh, been guy. able to talk. <laughs> yeah. I haven't. I haven't talked to him since the the names were announced. Yeah, it's just one will be elected, so maybe there was some kind of tie. It says for the old time oh, okay. it says one will yeah. be elected. Which I find strange that uh all these guys got that many votes. But okay, I mean I have no problem. I, I understand a lot more of the old timer picks than uh, the modern day picks. So I'll just leave it at that. Well yeah, the definitely well the modern's always gonna be up for uh debates and <laughs> controversy. So uh, but either way if anybody uh I would recommend anybody to go to the Hall of Fame and check it out either way. So. Yeah. I mean, last year, last year was pretty more straightforward. You had James Tony, you had Cotto, and you had uh, Bernard. Yeah. I mean, uh, I voted for all three of those guys. I mean, I, I think if you don't yeah. vote for all three, I think if you have a vote and you don't check those three names off, uh, your vote should be taken away. I mean, there are some things that, you know, just should be baked in the cake. Uh, this year, was a yeah. little bit more wide open, but the names that got in, well, two of the three names that got in, uh, I was quite surprised and uh, very much did not consider one second. I, I, I very, I didn't, cons- yeah. I considered ten names on the ballot. Bradley yeah. and Frotch were not either one of those guys, but who knows? Yeah. Who yeah. knows? Well, uh, Rich Lopez, we're going to get to. Uh, Alicia Ashley soon. That's a pre-recorded interview. I'm going to do this okay. date in boxing history. If you want to hang on for that, uh, if not, sure. yeah, you could say your goodbyes now. So tell me what you want to do. Um, no, I'll, I'll stick around. Sorry. All righty. So here we go. This date in boxing history, December 14th, 1964. The WBA and the WBC middleweight championship up for grabs. Joey Giardello wins a 15-round decision over Ruben Hurricane Carter. This fight is uh, drenched in uh, controversy in the sense that in the movie The Hurricane with Denzel Washington, uh, they made it seem like Giardello uh, was given a gift. Uh, Giardello, from what I understand, Giardello took issue with that, sued the movie makers, and a one whatever lawsuit he was seeking and it is a, a misnomer that Ruben Carter was robbed in this fight Giadello was the worthy winner December 14th 1971 from the forum in Inglewood California the undisputed welterweight championship was on the line Jose Napolis wins a 15 round decision over Hedgelman Lewis uh, it was a close decision uh, this first time around, and in the rematch, Napoli's, I think, one of the uh, two or three best welterweights of all time. I think he's better than Ray Leonard. Stop Lewis in the rematch in the ninth round in 1974. On the undercard on December 14th of 1971, fans were treated to an undisputed bantamweight title between Ruben Olivares and Jesus Pimentel and uh, Olivares was victorious in this one. Uh, Jesus did not come out after the 11th round. December 14th, 1978, the late Buster Drayton gets his first professional victory, a six-round decision over Jesse Carter. Going into the fight, Drayton was 0-0-1. 
Carter was seven four and one, and Buster Drayton was put on the map. And we miss you, Buster. December fourteenth, nineteen ninety-three, a USA Tuesday night fight from Mississippi. Roberto Duran stops Tony Menefee in eight rounds. Uh, Duran was eighty-nine and nine going into this fight. Menefee nineteen and one. Uh, this, this fight is uh, interesting. I mean. Uh, Duran, obviously, at the extended age against the youngster uh, who he schooled. But uh, the, the, the thing I love about this fight is uh, Duran was giving it to Tony Menefee, and he kind of, like, felt bad for the guy because he didn't want to keep beating him up. He looks over at the referee, gestures to the referee, like, come on, enough is enough already. And the referee listens to Duran and stops it. So uh, mercy for his opponent is not something uh, Roberto Duran would ever be mistaken for, but that's exactly what he showed on this date in 1993. Rich Lopez from com. Now's the time for you to tell us what to look out for and to say our closing remarks. Thank you for coming on again, buddy. All right. And any well, comments on the history, have... any comments you want to mention on the historic fights, go ahead. I know you're quite collective. Oh, yeah. Well, now for the Durant fight, it's kind of interesting you mentioned that. It's, it's been a while since I've seen that fight, but for, for Durant to show mercy to anybody, really, <laughs> he wasn't the type of fighter to to uh, to do that. Um, no, just just the, those historical uh, pieces, just great names on there. Plus, Napolis, just, to, you know, it's nice to hear that name here and there. It's just uh, one of the great welterweight fighters of all time. Um, other than that, no, once again, Anthony, thanks for having me on. Just want to Say shout out to all the boxing fans uh, tuning in to the uh, to the podcast, and uh, you know, just keep keep on keep on uh, keep them keep on the love for the boxing. So. All righty, thank you so much. Yeah, and if uh, Napoli's did not have issues with cuts, he would be yeah. considered a top three pound for pound fighter of all time. I firmly believe that. Because he lost one a few fights, like, but because he lost a few fights by cuts and lost to the uh, much bigger Monzone, he gets downgraded slightly, yeah. and I don't think it's fair. Yeah, those are the days when it was easy, um, harder to win a title in a different weight class, a higher weight class, <laughs> even if you're an elite fighter, you know. So. I mean, and he was not, he was yeah. not even a natural welterweight, and he, he was, yeah. I, I, he wasn't even close to 160 when he fought Monzon in that step-up fight. Not even close to 160. Yeah, and Monzon was, uh, was a, Monzon was a beast, a monster at 160. Exactly, yeah. And like I said, it was just harder for, it was harder to uh, and if you watch that, yeah, and if you watch that fight, he was giving it to Monzone offensively early. He was just outmatched size-wise. Monzone was too big and strong. Nice. Yeah, it's kind of, that's how it was. Same thing with when, when uh, Bob Foster, like heavyweight, trying to, you know, beat Ali or Joe Frazier, a heavyweight, you know. Devastating puncher, a heavyweight, but once we moved up to heavyweight, not, you know, it, that power didn't, didn't translate there at all, fighting the bigger fighters. So. But. But Bob Foster yeah. is known for being being the guy that cut Ollie. Oh, forget that. Got beat up, but he yeah, cut him. That's true. <laughs> cut him. That's true. <laughs> All right, Rich. Okay. 
Can't wait to talk to you again soon. If you want to hang on and listen right. to the Alicia Ashley interview, you can, but it's pre-recorded, so we're going to get that started right now. Okay, thank you. All righty, my next guest is the former WBC female world super bantamweight champion. She's fought all over the world, 24 victories. And now a member of the International Boxing Hall of Fame. Welcome back to the show, Miss Alicia Ashley. How you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Well, congratulations on your induction to the International Boxing Hall of Fame. Talk a little bit about the whole experience. How aware were you that you were on the ballot? Uh, were you aware when the winners were going to be announced and all of that? Take us through that whole process. Uh, well, I kind of found out I was on the ballot uh, on Facebook, actually. <laughs> um, last year I, I was the first year I was on the ballot, and I definitely knew against uh, all the different uh, nominees that – I did not, you know, really think I had a chance. And so this year, again, going up on the ballot, I was I was uh, pretty surprised that I was announced um, when I was informed uh, on Sunday that uh, I was going to be inducted uh, in this coming June, 2023. All righty. So now, it was well, you... Were you aware that was the day the winners were going to be announced? I mean, they, I think they officially announced uh, for us uh, they Wednesday. They announced uh, they, it on, yes. They, I'm sorry, yes. They announced it on Wednesday, but they called to inform me on Sunday. Now, were you like so sworn to secrecy I did, I did on it, Sunday? I had to keep quiet. Yeah, yeah. Was, was, <laughs> it tempting, was it tempting to uh, tell anybody? Uh, uh, of course it was, uh, <laughs> my family, but I, I actually did not. Um, I, uh, uh, I'm, was in Shanghai, so it was kind of, and, and since I was 13 hours ahead, and I knew they were announcing it on Wednesday at 11, I was like, it was even worse, because I had to hold my tongue <laughs> an extra right, 12 right, hours. Right. It's interesting that they tell uh, that they tell you so far ahead of time. I did not know that. Um, well, Sunday, three days ahead. I don't know. <laughs> That's so far ahead. It's it's because it, I, I, I know in other Hall of Fame, like with the Baseball Hall of Fame, as far as I know, they don't find out until they release it to everybody. But uh, maybe I'm wrong. But uh, anyway, uh, so who gives you the? Uh, do you get a call from Ed Brophy? Who calls you and tells you the good news? Yes, I did. I got a call from Ed. Yeah. Now this is the this was the second year you were on the ballot. Uh, Correct. Last year it was your first year. You make it on your second year. That's quite an accomplishment. Uh, when you, we first found out that the Boxing Hall of Fame was going to do this with the females, it was obviously 
hindered because of the COVID pandemic, and there are a lot of classes uh, of females that have got in all at the same time. Last year, can you go back and think about how you were feeling? With, what were your thoughts when they announced they were going to start doing this, the International Boxing Hall of Fame? I thought, of course, that it was a long time coming and uh, very happy that they finally did it because, um, you know, Sue Fox had to create an international women's boxing hall of fame to, you know, to showcase all the, the, the talented females that have, you know, the, this coming year is the, our 10th year of having it. So finally having uh, the women recognized in uh, the International Boxing Hall of Fame is, you know, uh, we just thought it was a long time coming. Now, you and started boxing three years ago. Right. Now, I believe your first bout was 1999, your first fight as a professional. I think it says 1999. Talk about how different the scope of women's boxing was then when you started as compared to uh, now where it's getting a lot of, uh, you know, recognition. Well, well, definitely that's a big thing. Uh, it's more on the the international stage now, more so in the U.S. than when it was when I started out. Um, and and I'll say this, not just in 1999, but uh, later in the years, even. Uh, I think I fought once or twice uh, in the U.S. that it was televised. But when I fought on an international stage, all my title fights were televised. Right, right. So uh, finally, finally having them recognize the females a lot more yeah, um, in, in the U.S. is, I think, the major change. And talk a little bit about the journey walking into a gym as a female wanting to be a boxer. Was it uh, was it a mixed bag? Did you find positive results? A lot of resistance. What was the reception like for you and other women at that time? I think more for other women, it was different, uh, and I hear that all the time when once I when I walked into Gleason's gym. Um, I think the reception for me was different because I came from a kickboxing background. I was already competing in kickboxing, so I already went into the gym as a fighter. Um, so I think I had a different reception than a lot of other females uh, that I spoke to at various gyms at that time. Um, you, you felt like you had more respect? There was a lot of... Re- I did. I felt I did have a lot more respect walking into that gym, already being a fighter. Um, I wasn't a boxer, <laughs> right? As a kickboxer, I've already I was already fighting, so there was a different mentality in how I was treated. But I saw and could understand what women were going into the boxing gym um, and not getting the kind of support that I already had when I went into, um, especially in Gleason's gym. 
And how soon did you find out that, uh, because you said I wasn't a boxer, I was a kickboxer. How soon did you find out the the difference and what were the big differences between the two? Oh, I knew there were major differences because that's the whole reason I went into boxing. I went into, into boxing to get my hands better for kickboxing because my first um, amateur kickboxing match, I fought a boxer. And uh, it was eye-opening to me uh, because whenever she closed the distance, she had a major advantage, and I did not because I came from I came from karate and kickboxing. You know, I went into boxing specifically to get my hands better for kickboxing. It wasn't really for the sport of boxing. I actually did not like watching it on television. So I didn't go into the sport uh, already having a love for boxing. I developed that love once I was in the sport. And what was what was some of the, the elements that uh, led to that, loving the sport and becoming a, a professional all the way now to the International Boxing Hall of Fame? Can you go back and do you remember exactly was it what, what it was? For me, for me, it was more of the mental aspect of the fight, uh, the strategy of it. Um, and that's always been entirety of my career is is more of of pitting me against another person is how do I navigate how do I make sure that uh, this person is doing what I want <laughs> is fighting my fight um, mm-hmm. so for me the love of boxing that you know because it's always true that no matter how many people that you have in your camp and that has helped you get to wherever you are, once you're in the ring, it's just one that other person. And that, for me, was, was the lore of the site. Now, throughout your career, you've done a lot of traveling. You fought in Austria, Guyana, Virgin Islands, North Korea, uh, even my hometown of the Bronx. Talk a little bit about your travels and what stood out for you when you were visiting all of these places. Yeah. Uh, yes, I was definitely a road warrior. Um, I, I just enjoyed competition, so I always went to the fight. The one thing is that because I started at a older age, I started boxing when I was 28, and I went in and I became a pro when I was 32. So I was never able to get a promoter or manager in the beginning. We just took fights whenever and wherever, whatever was available. And you can see that uh, some of my fights I fought, you know, way out of my weight class because of that. Um, uh, pretty much, if I had a if I had a promoter, I definitely would not have been on the road as much. But then I definitely wouldn't have had the type of career that I did. And I and I feel that it uh, was so much more important for me to have traveled the world and fought and 
met upon with all the competition that I've had over the years. It was uh, both a blessing and a curse, <laughs> you know, in the fight game. Um, but I definitely loved uh, traveling and and fighting in all of these other arenas. Now, as I said, I mean, especially with the majority of my title fights in other countries, those were all televised, whereas it was wasn't in the U.S. Right, and you won the vacant uh, WBC Super Ben White title over Christina Ruiz, and that fight took place in the Hunts Point Produce Market in the Bronx, New York. And then you defended your title many times overseas. Uh, What was it like fighting in the Hunts Point Produce Market, a place I know very well, but never watched a boxing match there? I, I'm pretty sure they've never had one after. <laughs> I don't know if they did. But uh, it was it was outdoors. Um it was I think people kept telling me that it was really hot, but I really didn't feel that. I, I kinda think it reminded me of being because I it was in the it was in the middle of summer. Um, but it totally reminded me of being in Jamaica, so it kind of worked out well for me. It it was great. Um, the fans came out, you know, and and you know my fans are more for Brooklyn, but I think I fought in in the Bronx more than I fought in Brooklyn. Which yeah, you might, might be right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, the, uh, us, us Bronxites know who the superior, uh, the, what the superior <laughs> borough is. I just got to tell you that. Um, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that I did not fight in my hometown of New York, New York City. It's maybe until my twentieth fight, something along that line. So, all my fights have been out of the state of New York before my first fight, which was actually in the Bronx at a Paradise Theater. Now, uh, in your career, won championships, defended titles. Uh, two or three of your best performances, what would you say they were? Hmm. Uh, definitely, definitely one was against Marcella Acuna, and uh, I fought her a couple of times um, in Argentina. All my my fights against Marcella have been in Argentina. But I know the first first time I fought her, um, I didn't have my coach or any of my coaches with me. Uh, My brother was, was one of my trainers. And Hector Roca was my coach as well, uh, a trainer as well. And I think he had, uh, I don't know who, he had like a major fight uh, that he had to be at. And my brother, who was also a kickboxer, <laughs> um, he had a fight that he had to go to. And then I just had um, just a, a, a coach that I used to um, spar with his girl, work my corner. And... Um, I just had a, a split decision win against Marcela Acuna, and uh, they wanted a rematch, which I gave. 
And the next time when I did have my coach with me, it was just um, a totally different fight. I was able to like completely control the fight. She, they expected me to move as much as I did the first time, and I didn't. So um, for me, that was a really good, um, really good fight because I was able to to actually show people what you know what my true uh, fighting style was. And it says here that your sister uh, is a grand chess master. Is that accurate? Uh, my Maurice? brother. My brother. Brother. Maurice. My brother Maurice, yes. Brother he Maurice. He was actually, well, we're a very competitive right. family. And he actually was the first uh, black grandmaster in the world. <laughs> what's it like having so a chess grandmaster? <laughs> yeah, well, what's it like having a grand chess master as a sibling, family member? Do you play chess yourself? Uh, no, I know the game, but that was his game growing up, um, and mine was mine was dance actually. So oh, okay. um, we were on totally two totally different uh, spectrums. <laughs> Yeah, because when people ask me if I play chess, I say absolutely not. Do I know how to play? Do I know the rules? Do I know what all the pieces do? Yes. But do I know how to beat anybody? No. So I can't say I play chess. <laughs> it's been very right, complicated. Exactly. Very, very, very... Yes, I know, I, I, I know all the, the moves. I know all of that. Um, and the one thing I do love about it, chess, which I think is what I bring to my fight, is is exactly what they do on the chess board. Right, right. Thinking of ahead, planning ahead, knowing what, what, what you do and what, what it leads to, all that stuff is, is very much, I mean, they refer to a lot of uh, boxing matches as chess matches as it's happening. Yes, Exactly. Now, you so have a little bit I of a chess map. I'm I sorry, go ahead. <laughs> there I you go, I yes. I yes. his game, and I, and I keep my game. <laughs> right. There you go. Now, planning for the Boxing Hall of Fame is going to be a little bit of a chess match in and of itself. Uh, there's going to be, you're going to have to make speeches and all that kind of stuff. Have, have you thought about that already? And uh, right right now, who would you say are, are some of the people that were instrumental and were with you along the way that, that you are going to plan on facing? Uh, well, definitely my oldest brother, Devon, um, because he's the one that got me into martial arts and kickboxing and boxing. And, uh, and he was um, not exactly my first boxing coach um, because I had uh, a kickboxing coach, Fred, Fred Cortone, that kind of helped me through my amateur career. Um, but once I wanted to uh, do more, uh, I ended up at Gleason's gym and uh, had Hector Roca as my coach. So um, definitely along the way, it's, uh, you know, first my brother and definitely Hector, who was there through the majority of my fight career. Now, during your time at Gleason's Gym, can you give us 
uh, an encounter with another uh, famous boxer, whether male or, or female, that the fans that, that you think would be a good story for the fans? Hmm. Um. Mm. I mean, you know, there are so many uh, fighters that uh, come through Gleason's gym, um, come there to train or or has been there. That, you, the thing about, I don't know if I can tell stories. <laughs> um, I've had an opportunity to work with a lot of people and uh, and see a lot of, I mean, see a lot of people there. Um, so, I don't really think I have stories. Well, can you give us a couple of names of some of the famous, you know, the boxes that everybody would know that uh, you shared time with in the gym? Um, um, I mean, I definitely have had, uh, it's funny because I've been at Jason's uh, uh, 20 years, right? <laughs> um, I think uh, one person that I feel that is, has someone that I followed a lot uh, was uh, Joan Guzman. And actually he, had a, uh, he helped me uh, quite a few, uh, helped uh, with my training a little bit later in life. But, you know, the people that have come through there, you've had the Shane Mosley, you, you know, you, mm-hmm. of course, Mike Tyson, you know, mm-hmm. so we've had the major stars that come We've had the major stars that come through and uh, uh, do their own training before going to, you know, do fight. So, um, Gleason's after, uh, in the heyday, you had more big names that were fighting, were training there on a regular. But uh, afterwards, it's usually just now coming there to uh, do their press before they do their major fights. Now, one of the other things that's So it's not as if I've trained with them. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Right, right. But one of the other things that's big about the uh, Boxing Hall of Fame weekend is all the attention you get from the fans, all the autograph seekers and all of that. Uh, you're not going to be able to go anywhere without a bunch of people uh, surrounding you. Have you thought about that at all? Um, not so much. I don't, you know, I have never been that flashy or in-your-face type of person. I mean, a lot of people are still going, uh, I think, feel locally or going, I don't exactly know her. <laughs> um, more of my, it's, it's interesting that more of the attention that I've gotten has been international. Um, so, um, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not really out there. I'm, I, I'm very much so an introvert, um, but I'm not. Um, since I've been a world champion a few times over, I've been in front of a crowd. So I'm. 
it's not like I'll be shy in any way in front of the crowd. Uh, have you visited there before? I'll hold my home. All right. Well, Actually, I, I have never, I've never been there. I've never been up there. Oh, okay. So, so it's going to be something. It is going to be something new for me to be there. All right. And I so, am excited. Yeah. Hopefully, I will be there as well as a, as a fan uh, cheering you on and all of that. Now, this is going to be, I believe, the fourth class of women fighters since they started recognizing women at the International Boxing Hall of Fame. And we already have yeah. uh, great fighters like uh, Christy, Christy Martin, Martin Leila Lai. Right, um, right. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, talk- I know all. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Uh, uh, how many of those uh, Hall of Famers, I mean, obviously you know them all, but how many uh, have you had uh, contact with or, uh, or, or stuff like that? Talk a little bit about your experience with the women who are already in there. Um, of course, I've met uh, a few. Uh, I, it, Layla Ali, I met uh, previously. Um, when she was still fighting. Um, in fact, uh, her first husband promoted one of my fights in, in uh, Las Vegas. So that was the first time that I met her. Um, and I've met her again, along with Christy Martin, at the International Women's Boxing Hall of Fame when they were both inducted. All righty, um, now. Holly Holm, I, Holly Holm, I actually fought one of her fighters. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, what was that like? Co- coincidentally, in uh, Queens, I think, uh, you know. So it was a little funny because uh, I, of course, beat her fighter. <laughs> but, indeed, um, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> So I mean, it, but, you know, we, it's a, it's a. I, I think, I think the difference is that um, uh, majority of the women. I really feel that we support each other a lot. So right. It will be, you know, fabulous to see these women in this type of setting. Yeah. And so I mean, obviously, we're seeing women's boxing on. Uh, a grander scale, a lot of TV exposure in the United States, main events. I mean, uh, Serrano Keller is a candidate for fight uh, of the year. People are still talking about it and buzzing about that fight. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, now the popularity of female boxing uh, is is alive and well and growing uh, talk a little bit about observing that as someone when you started fighting, as you said, uh, you could barely get any television time here in the United States uh, for most of your fights. Yeah, I think one of the big things um, before and and even now, there is a little it, there. There are more buzz on it um, because now you'll see. As as we see, we see Katie Taylor, uh, Amanda Serrano, uh, Clarissa Shields. But I feel still that 
um, even back when when I was fighting, there was always the, the television coverage was always on one female. You had you had Christy Martin, then you had Leila Ali, and then it was a dearth. <laughs> but because they only focused on one female fighter, we never we never got the the rise that we should have. I mean, now, I mean, Clarissa Shields' fight in in uh, the UK was like one of the, uh, or for three, I, let's really say it's three uh, fighters that the, the media is focusing on. And I really feel that it's better, slightly better. I don't think it's that much better. Um, I still feel like we're under 10% of, of uh, media attention compared to the guys. And it really mm-hmm. should be, really should be a lot more. I mean, thankfully this year that so many fights happen, but hopefully next year they'll really, you know, improve upon that because we're so far behind. All righty, we're talking to Alicia Ashley, International Hall of Fame member, class of 2023. Uh, last question I have for you, what are you doing now to, to keep busy? Are you still involved in boxing in some capacity? Uh, yes, I'm actually a trainer. Uh, I'm teaching in Shanghai. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I've, I've, I've been in China since I retired in 2019, um, I'm trying to, well, originally was trying to help uh, grow the sport in China, being on the ground floor of that uh, until uh, COVID happened and kind of derailed that. But I'm still, you know, still here teaching. And how often do you oh, come yeah, back to the state? In Boston. Um, generally once a year. Um, uh, 2023 will be twice, though, <laughs> because I will <laughs> of have course. to come back for my induction. <laughs> All righty. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's great. I mean, uh, to, to, to be over there. And what's the scope of uh, professional boxing like over in China? What's the coverage like, the media? Over here in the United States, uh, you know, the mainstream media doesn't cover boxing the way it used to either. Um, it's three years in China is practically non-existent. Um, there's not been a lot of uh, fights here. Um, actually, I don't think in the last two years there haven't been any fights in in China. Um, the even um, like uh, MMA, even that. So all the contact sports have really been totally shut down. So hopefully with it, 2023 they'll start uh, opening up to the world again. All righty, Alicia, Ashley, thank you for coming on. Thank you for your time. Uh, And once again, congratulations on your induction to the 
International Boxing Hall of Fame class of 2023. Now's the time for closing statements. Any shout-outs you want to give, any social media you want to plug, anything you want to say in closing, now's the time. We appreciate it. Oh, I'm just, uh, of course, I'm totally honored to be uh, inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame class of 2023. Um, I look forward to seeing any and everyone who will come out in June to help us all celebrate because um, I will definitely be there. Thank you so much for your time and you have a great rest of your evening. All right. Thank you so much. All right. It was Take nice care. talking to you. Ed. Hello, everyone. My name is Orlando Canizales, 2009 Boxing Hall of Famer. You listen to Zoots Boxing, Boxing Talk. All righty, welcome back to Zoots Boxing Talk, the boxing show where we bring you sweet science straight up with no twist. If you're a follower of the show, follow me on Twitter at Zoots Boxing Talk. Go to topclassboxing.co.uk for all your boxing fixes. Shout out to Mr. Paul Daly. Uh, yeah, and Canizales is one of those guys who, first of all, I think he's in the top five bantamweights of all time. Uh, I think I'm in the minority there, and I don't really see him mentioned uh, even in the top tens uh, so much. But uh, he's one of those guys that t- took a while to get into the Boxing Hall of Fame for him. And I understand when his career was over, he was not on the ballot right away for whatever reason. And the minute he was on the ballot, uh, he was... Uh, uh, voted in. So as part of the International Boxing Research Organization, I wanted to uh, pass along an email that we got about uh, losing uh, a fighter uh, recently. Bobby Cassidy Jr. recently passed away, so let's pay him a little uh, tribute before we get out of here. Bobby Cassidy, born April 19, 1944, is a performer, professional boxer who fought from 1963 to 1980. Uh, he was born and raised in New York. He is from Irish uh, lineage. Ca- Cassidy was a southpaw who was a world-rated junior middleweight, middleweight, light heavyweight, and cruiserweight. In 1975, he was ranked number one in the world as a light heavyweight by the WBC. Among his notable, among the notable fighters that he defeated were Don Fulmer, Jimmy Dupree, Tom Bethea, Isaac Logart. Ramon Rankillo, Tommy Hicks, and Christy Elliott. He also fought world champions Luis Manuel Rodriguez, Rodrigo Valdez, and Alessandro Mazzagni. Rest in peace, Mr. Cassidy. And uh, that uh, information comes from Carol Meyer of the International Boxing Research Organization, who always uh, gives us information about the great history of boxing and sadly about uh, the fighters who pass away. So uh, we have uh, we have a good boxing uh, weekend ahead of us. I think the number one interest on uh, the fight fans uh, radar is that lightweight showdown on Showtime between Frank Martin and Michelle R- Rivera, two top lights. Two top-rated lightweights going at it. Should be fun. A lot on the line. Uh, we will be there watching. And also, Dazone has a card. I believe this is a Golden Boy 
card on that zone Saturday night from California. Raul Coriel versus Brad Solomon, a couple of welterweights. Uh, I think that is the main event, so we will we will be looking at that. We'll bring you the boxing action uh, next weekend. Thank you again, Alicia Ashley. Thank you, Rich Lopez. Once again, we will be back. And until then, keep on punching. Stop one bun, and I'm not thinking anymore.